0: It's time for The Car Doctor on AM 950 W R O L. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's The Car Doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 W R O L. The spirit of Boston.
1: And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Maybe you're listening on 100.3 FM. Maybe you're listening on the stream, WROLradio.com. Maybe you're listening on the app. Maybe you told Alexa to tune into. AM 950 WROL, all kinds of ways to listen to us these days without just going to the regular radio. So, but you can always get a hold of us in all kinds of different ways. Uh, Our phone number here is 617-770-3030. And uh, we have a bunch of things we're going to be talking about today, including uh, what happens if your car gets totaled and the value of it. Also, a little bit of news about what's going on in the automotive industry. And also, the um, both car dealerships that I have used personally in the last, I guess, five years, uh, Paul Clark Volkswagen in Brockton is now Copeland Volkswagen. Apparently, Copeland took over, and it appears as if Paul Clark, the owner, still has something to do with it. And... Uh, Prime Hyundai, where my Hyundai came from, down in Rockland, is um, closed. They went out of business. Prime Hyundai in Rockland. Closed. Went out of business. And That's I, weird. They
2: just, like, didn't they just build Just build, build that it? building, yeah. yeah. They just yeah. bought,
1: well, they bought it from O'Brien and, and, and moved it. Yeah. And moved it, Built yeah. it and moved it, yeah. So I'm not sure what happened because I'm not sure what happened. Uh, I called there, and uh, and
2: they were just building like a mini dealership there. No, that's a different owner. That's oh, somebody nice. else.
1: But I was just I just called there, and um, the Volvo dealership answers the phone, and I said, well, "What happened to the Hyundai dealership?" They went, "Oh, it's closed." And I said, "Well, you owe me a oil change <laughs> because I have one left," and they said to me, "Oh, just uh, give us a call, give us a day's notice, so we can get the you know." right oil filter and uh, the right oil and we'll do it over here so I said what happened and the woman who answered the phone said well, it just closed Interesting. but interestingly they also closed the Hyundai dealership in Saco Maine that they owned and I don't know what happened
2: so they
1: must have lost a that- yeah yeah uh, yeah i don't know there was there was something that went on they expanded really quick recently yes, so i don't know what happened so uh our guest didn't call in nope did you try that number in red is that yes, the one I you did. called yep no answer I'll Try again
2: but no, no answer no no voicemail nothing said really after a few rings said your call cannot be completed at this time well, Please hang huh. up and call again. well
1: i hope he's okay um Go to, go to, uh, I was reading an article about uh, different ways people listen to the radio in cars. And Apple CarPlay is one. A lot of people hook up their cars to Apple CarPlay. You can. Do you have Apple CarPlay in the new car? I do. Yep. And uh, in BMW, they're going to start to charge a fee to hook up to Apple CarPlay. According to our article here, it says, you know how mass market hotel chains uh, tend to offer free wireless internet while luxury resorts and charge extra, apparently uh, assuming their customers don't pay as much attention, Well, BMW is trying a similar approach by installing an $80 annual fee for access to Apple CarPlay in its vehicles. That's going to start with the 2019 model years. Car and Driver reported this last week. Other automakers offer Apple CarPlay for free, for the life of the vehicle as long as it comes equipped with uh, the feature. The first year of uh, car CarPlay is free and owners can elect to pay another $80 a year or $300 for a 20-year subscription. Or they can buy, or it says in this article, or they can uh, buy a $16,000 Kia Rio when it comes with Apple CarPlay for free for life. So why BMW has chosen to charge extra Is sort of weird, so I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened with Apple CarPlay, but why? Why they think they can charge extra for it? Kind of, kind of weird, but I guess they're gonna try. And people
2: can just get around it, anyways, by just playing Bluetooth on there.
1: You would think. You would think. I don't
2: know. I mean, I understand Apple CarPlay has. You can just. Press the button on the app,
1: and yeah, and it thing. and it does it does mirror your screen on your phone. and It is so if you use some of the traffic apps like Waze, it does you get a nice display of Waze on your screen. Um, I don't have Apple CarPlay in my car. Next level up, going for the cheapest car I could find. It didn't come with it, although the sixteen thousand dollar Kia Rio does. My car should have, but. Anyway, so <laughs> I, just thought, I just thought it was odd about uh, why that's happening and so forth. so uh, Five tips from Haggerty who says uh, how to keep your car from getting stolen. These, uh, these all seem like pretty oh, common sense tips to me. Um, always be situationally aware if the situation doesn't feel right, listen to your inner voice. That's raising a red flag. Maybe that flatbed truck cruising in the parking lot just wants to steal your car. Consider a hidden kill switch or at the very least disconnect your battery. Uh, If you have a classic car, not such a bad idea. Make it as inconvenient as possible for thieves to choose your car. A visible aftermarket steering wheel lock can be defeated by a professional thief, but doing so takes time. Yeah, those clubs and hooks and things that connect to the steering wheel, they can be defeated pretty easily. But on the other hand... If your car has it and somebody else's doesn't, maybe they're going to go to the somebody else rather than you. So, um, consider installing a vehicle tracker like LoJack or now you can get all kinds of those things. And you can buy you can buy a little vehicle tracker now for like a hundred bucks, so you always know where your car is. And uh, be aware where you keep your keys. Storing a vehicle in a garage. Um, I was talking to someone one day who had a car in storage. And a nice enough storage facility, but the keys were in every single car. And I was uh, talking to somebody else who, or I was reading something about somebody else had their car in a storage lot, and the person who ran the storage lot kept the keys in everybody's car because he didn't want to lose them. Well, that's all good and all, but, um, you know, what keeps the storage lot secure? A chain link fence and a paddle lock or something. You know, it doesn't sound that secure to me. Our phone number six one seven seven seventy 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Let's talk to John in Norwood. Good morning, John.
3: Good morning, John. How are you? Good. I uh, have a 99 Maxima that I called in a few months back about a torn CV boot, which you said was not unsafe to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, now I have two uh, ripped CV boots. Um is there any truth to the idea that if I get them both replaced at the same time with a manual transmission, that that there's the mechanic really needs to know what he's doing so that he doesn't lose some I don't know adjustment or
1: well, you I, you do so you have one on each side that's bad. Yep. Yeah, yeah. If you take both axles out at the same time. uh that could be a problem, but if you only take one axle at a time, it won't be.
3: Okay, so... Yeah. Um, yeah there's some not that good much. mechanics going to know that. Yeah, yeah, there's not that much to... I just wonder how many mechanics work on manual transmissions anymore.
1: Well... Probably, probably not that many, but but it's still it's still it's still relatively, you know, even even with kind of any transmission on a on a front wheel drive car. If you were taking the axles out, I have seen some shops, and I did it myself just in case because um, you know the the side gears that connect inside the the differential um, are sort of held in place depending on the car by the axle shaft so you know there's a potential that if you take both axles out the two gears will start to move around and could literally fall out inside the differential Um, so you know could you stick a broom handle in there to keep that from happening sure you could but you know the better way is you just do one side at a time and by doing one side at a time you also know you're 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 matching up one of the problems with remanufactured axles is you need to make sure they're the right ones and occasionally you get one out of a box that you know it's a half an inch shorter or a half an inch longer and although you might be able to somehow cram it in place it's not the right one so you do you do one side then the other and there's no problem
3: okay uh second quick question um i think one of my rear brakes um the caliper might be rusted or frozen Open. I've touched the rotors um, after I've driven a while, and that one seems to be very cold as opposed to the others. So yeah, it's possible either that.
1: Yeah, it's either the caliper slide is frozen or the caliper piston is frozen. So either way, um, you know the the, you know caliper's got to come off and figure out what's figure out what's wrong with it. In a lot of cases. It is the slide, the mechanism that allows the caliper to slide back and forth on its mount, will just totally rust up. Normally, what happens when you'll get kind of a spongy brake pedal too, because the it's not it's not pushing on, on the pads the way it's supposed to. So, but I mean, you're you're not going to know until you take the wheel off and look at it and see what's going on. Um, you know, if you know it's. 20 years old now if they're the original calipers and on the rear of the car and one of them if one well, them, I had them replaced oh you did? Or 4 years ago maybe oh okay 30 miles ago oh okay so um, you know they still could be they still could be stuck uh, I know the last the car before this one I think I did brakes on it a year or two before and one of the brake calipers was just the the slide was just rusted in place it caused the brake pads to actually wear out prematurely one side the brakes looked like they should you know newish and the other side they were completely worn out and it wasn't the hydraulic part of the caliper that was frozen it was actually the mechanical part where it slides on the mount um you know a little bit a little bit of time with a with a grinder to knock all the rust off it and a little bit of, uh, you know, high-temp never sees and put it all back together and all things were good.
3: So, there's a chance they'll just try to free that up or likely just replace the whole caliper?
1: Um, it depends on hydraulically how it looks. If if you take if you take it off and, you know, push the piston back a little bit and it goes back nice and easy, the caliper's fine. If it's... Uh, if if it doesn't want to budge, uh, chances are there's rust around the inside of it. Calipers are pretty, pretty incredible little things because it's it's literally a piston that sits in a hole, with a rubber seal that sits around the in, the outside of the piston, and a boot that sits on the top of it to keep the dust and dirt out. And you kind of wonder, well, what keeps this from leaking? It's just a little rubber seal, but uh, you. You know, and the fluid's under pretty high pressure. How come it doesn't leak by the seal? But it doesn't. And, uh, but if it's, but if rust builds up in the body of the caliper or on the piston itself, well, it's going to stick and jam and that's why you replace it. So. We did, years ago, years ago, when I, uh, when I first, I don't know, it must've been when I first started doing disc brakes a lot, um. We were always rebuilding calipers. It was always just sort of, kind of a natural. Oh, somebody came in, the brakes are worn uneven. Let's do a rebuilding kit, and uh, it was it was actually it was actually a relatively simple thing. Now nobody does them, nobody rebuilds them anymore, unless they're a, a specialty shop working on an older car or something. But because the remanufactured ones have gotten so cheap, but you kind of take these calipers apart pop them apart with some air and look at them and there'd be just a little bit of rust inside or a little ridge of rust inside that was just enough to get the caliper pistons to stick so a little little bit of a little bit of work to them and that's really about all it took so again look at them look at the caliper see what it looks like um i i especially if that side of the car for some reason if you if it's uh I don't know. You, you park on the grass on with that one wheel more often than the rest of the car, or something can get moisture and it can cause that slide to stick. And again, it's just it's just uh, it's just rusty steel. So it can, it can if it is just a stuck slide, you take it apart, you clean it, you lube it up, you put it back together, and the world's a better place afterwards. All right, thanks a lot, John.
4: Okay. Bye bye. I
1: think we lost him somewhere. Oh, no, he said bye-bye. Oh, he didn't. See, I'm I'm having trouble hearing. There, I have a. I think I have a headphone problem.
2: You might have to
1: move. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna move. I'll be right back. Um, he's Keep talking. I, you can't put
2: me on the spot like that. I can't do that. You can't? Why not? I just I'm not I'm not that adept.
1: You know? Really? Okay. Now I can hear you at least. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't before. Why don't we take a break? I'm gonna send a message to our guests and see where was he he was all set he was all set on wednesday so we'll see if we get a hold of him my name is john paul this is the car doctor program our phone number is 617-770-3030 we'll be right back
3: Of the lobbies, you heard the noise they make, but let me rid my new rocket 88. Yes, it's great. Forget
0: about your Himmies and your GTOs. I've got a new machine, and she really goes. When I pass you on the
3: flagship, you'll know darn well. Been beat by a booming plane,
1: VHFL. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on AM 950WROL, the spirit of Austin. Uh, well, if you were, we're going to take call first. Did you want want me to do that? Sure. We have Robert from Tingsboro. Oh, we do. Okay, I thought you said that. Okay, let's talk to Robert from Tingsboro. Robert, good morning.
5: Good morning, John. How are you? Yeah, yeah I, I have a question regarding uh, power steering, particularly newer vehicles with electric pumps. Yeah. Uh, Is there any more or less damage? You know, if the engine's not running and you turn the wheel, or if you push the car, you know. Any any damage to any of the uh, components? No, but good, the
1: f- but good luck if you can turn the wheel.
5: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just uh, I see a lot of these uh, you know the auctions that pushing yeah. them across the block, you know. Yep. Yeah. And uh, no, they're, they're, they're not running.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh uh now the uh, the electric power steering pumps are, are pretty robust and there it's it's just um it's it's a pretty simple it's a pretty simple system. A lot of times it's just a uh, literally a pump mounted on top of the steering box, so pretty, pretty straightforward sort of stuff. So no, no, nothing, nothing you can really hurt.
5: Yeah. Now these new electric systems—is there any any uh, seals or O-rings or anything involved? Uh, I mean, there,
1: there there is. Uh, one of the problems that some mm-hmm. of them can run into the pump actually the pump actually gets hot, and when the pump mm-hmm. gets hot, it can uh, it can cause it can cause the system to actually want to shut down. Um, you know, you know how with a regular old-style power steering system, you take a coil, if you, I don't know, do a three-point turn and you hold the wheel all the way to one side until you, you hear the squealing noise? Yeah. Well, that's actually the, the valve inside the pump actually allowing excess pressure to leave. Um, I see. If you do the same thing with an electric power steering system and crank the wheel to one side and hold it, it can actually overheat the electric motor, and then it shuts down the power steering
5: so you know, fun.
1: yeah so but yeah. i mean that's you know that's you know the the old way they used to teach people to you know do a three-point turn was you know turn the steering wheel till it made noise you know turn right. back up till it made noise you know and and these electric power steering pumps they're just not designed for that i i mean my my biggest fault with some of the electric power steering pumps is the ones that have you know they, they literally have no direct connection they do but um, but what gives it the power assist is an electric signal from the power from the power steering pump to the steering wheel, and sometimes they feel too much like a video game, a little too artificial. Well, yeah, yeah, I've,
5: I've heard you know, yeah. pros and cons on. Yep. but I haven't experienced that with mine. Yeah. Uh,
1: it, de- it, it depends. It depends on the car. Some yeah, really it good.
5: has a has a tight ratio, so it's not really that easy. Yep. And as far as uh, back in the old days, I didn't have power steering, so there wasn't any squeal. Yeah, there, there, there you go. There you go. Stop. There you go. <laughs> yep. That. Yeah.
1: I, I saw I saw I saw a guy at an old uh, 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 MG this morning, and he was uh, taking a pretty tight turn, and it looked like he was working kind of hard to do it. So, yeah, power steering isn't like it used to be. You know, isn't? No. it? Uh, yeah.
3: Yeah. All right. Okay, John.
1: Thanks to a talk lot. To you. Take care. Same here. Yep. uh, Bye-bye. With us on the phone is our guest, uh, Michael Parsons. He's the CFO of SourceOne Financial. And uh, Michael, you sent me an email earlier in the week uh, because uh, you wanted me me to be made aware of, um, I don't know, I almost want to call it insurance company shenanigans. You know that sounded so good up until Dennis pushed the button. Michael, are you there? Michael. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, having a little phone problem this morning for some reason. The phones aren't working the way they're supposed to. But I was saying I was saying earlier that uh, that uh, you sent me an email earlier. I think it was last week and uh, talking about how um, one system in particular, when it comes to um, your if something happens with your vehicle and it gets totaled and the insurance company has to uh, assign a value, it sounds like there's some uh, out-and-out shenanigans involved.
6: I I would say more than out-and-out shenanigans. Um, I'd almost say planned and very resourceful. Um, Insurance companies are using a particular product.
1: And how did, now, uh, tell us about, you and Source One Financial and how you got involved in coming to these conclusions.
6: Um, very simply, I run a subprime auto finance company really? here in Massachusetts. Um, we finance consumers for their motor vehicles. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when the consumer gets into a motor vehicle accident, if the insurance does not cover, my chances of recovering the balance of my funds is not all that great. So we're looking to ensure that the insurance company pays the appropriate amount on a car. Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, one, and one of the examples you had was a car that was stolen. It wasn't recovered. And the, uh, the software, I guess, the, the, the product that determined the value, uh, depreciated the car $6,000 for wear and tear and cigarette burns to the interior. And they never even saw the car.
6: That is correct. Um, What occurs is the insurance companies, through a company called CC1 Information Services, Mm -hmm. is creating a false book value. So they claim to go look at your car Mm -hmm. after you've done a motor vehicle accident and assign it a value value of either uh, dealer-ready, normal wear and tear, or rough. Mm -hmm. Um, They almost always will attempt... mark the damaged car as in rough condition. The best example I can possibly give you is the one you cited. But recently, we had a woman who was in a motor vehicle accident um, where her entire front end was crushed, and she had to be cut out of the car. Okay. And The insurance company actually assigned damages for the, the boot marks and handprints of the firemen who are in supporting the woman as they're trying to cut her out of the car. So they'll always assign the, the uh, damaged vehicle as in rough condition, mm-hmm. and every single vehicle that they compare it to will put in market um, dealer-ready condition, and there's a 10 to 15% market valuation on that single score.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, their, their terminology,
6: dealer-ready,
1: what does that mean?
6: I don't know. (laughs) Neither do they. Dealer ready is this idea that a car is showroom ready, ready to be driven off a lot like a new car. Mm -hmm. But these are all used cars. Right,
4: right. And certainly,
6: there are cars in better condition and worse condition. But in all honesty, when you're driving down the street drinking your cup of coffee and you get rear-ended, you didn't have the chance to get your car dealer ready. Yeah. Or
4: Have a
1: detailed document, right? Right, it absolutely makes sense. And I know I was talking to, uh, uh, you know, my day job at AAA. We have an insurance company, and but I was but I was actually talking to one of our in-house claims adjusters, and she used to work for another big insurance company. And I said, Well, what do you know about the, the product you're talking about? And she said, Oh, we used to use it all the time. And I said, Well, how did you? When you used it, did you have? did you did you use the product to assign a value to the vehicle? And she's like, no, no, we just used it for an estimating guide. And she said we would use multiple sources to come up with an actual value of the vehicle based on based on conditions. So it sounds like this company, and, and the name of the company again is?
6: C one Information Services. Right.
1: And it sounds like they have added an extra component that will actually come up with a an appraised value of the vehicle. But as you pointed out, the value and and whether you're trying to protect yourself for the loan value or you're a consumer trying to, you know, trying to uh, collect on, uh, you know, you got into a car crash and the, the car was totaled and, you are know, like... Um, yeah, I still owe ten thousand dollars on the car, and they, I don't have gap insurance, and they only gave me six thousand because they said it's in rough condition. But I got hit by a dump truck. Of course, it's in rough condition.
6: Therein lies the problem. Yeah, um, I'm fortunate enough to have sent out um, private detectives because we're fighting these in legal battles. Um, I get to see hundreds of these reports annually. Every single one is a complete fabrication of the truth. We have hundreds of examples of where the report from CC1 Information Services will say that they sent someone out to Herb Chambers' um, Honda in mm-hmm. Burlington and spoke to Herb Chambers. Um, we have hundreds of... Uh, and the prices that they've given are not the prices the car sold for. We have examples of cars not existing. We have examples of dealerships that they've listed as comparable vehicles not existing. Uh, It really is a tremendous disservice to everyone in the Commonwealth, but the division of insurance doesn't seem to wish to move for this forward in any Mm. particular way.
1: Now, Now, Herb Chambers is a nice guy, and he has 52 dealerships, and the chances of being able to talk to him about a car that was sitting in their lot that got totaled is probably... Tough to do.
6: I, I, don't, yeah, I don't think Mr. Chambers was waiting at the Burlington store to talk to anyone around a, about a 2012 Honda Civic last year.
1: Probably probably not. Just a, just a guess. Probably
6: not.
4: Yeah.
6: Um, <laughs> but that is the nature of these reports. They hand the consumer a report that's 22 pages long, or the insured report that's 22 pages long. And it gives an offer that isn't bad. If your car is worth $12,000, they will probably offer you around $10,000.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: If it's 16 they will offer you thirteen. So the variation's large, but not massive.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: Most people aren't willing to fight over that $2,000, specifically when they have no one to help them fight.
1: Right, right.
6: And but, wh- but for a company like mine, we have close to 700 total vehicles a year. Um. a piece, that turns into real money very quickly.
1: It does. It absolutely does. And from a consumer standpoint, um, like you said, somebody has a $12,000 car and they think it's worth $12,000 and maybe they owe nothing on it, maybe they owe half of that on it, maybe they own, you know, something on it, and and the insurance company comes back and says, we'll give you $10,000, and like you said, for most people, they're going to look at that and go, well, I guess that's the best I'm going to be able to do with it. What can consumers do to try to make sure that they get the correct real market value for their vehicle if it's totaled?
6: They can do the following steps. Number one, they can reserve their rights. Mm-hmm. They can tell the insurance company they're going to accept their $10,000 check, but they're going to sue them for the $2,000 variation. They should look at what the NADA retail of the vehicle is from any online source.
1: Yeah, so National Auto Dealer Association guides or Kelly Blue Book yep. or Edmunds or look, a, look a, a bunch of multiples up just like an appraiser would do.
6: That is correct. And all they had to do with that particular moment in time is say, that's the number, that's what I deserve, that's what I paid for.
4: Because
6: mm-hmm. they did pay for that insurance. They can then reserve their rights and sue the insurance company in small claims court. The CC1 report that the insurance company will show up with as the basis of their offer states very clearly in its notes that no one may rely upon the report, that the report's only for the benefit of the insurance company. It's a very clear statement within those 22 pages. Mm. And so it it really can't be presented to the court because it says very basically that no one can rely on it. So usually a a court will award the consumer the extra $2,000 and they'll, they'll, they'll get their fair value. Hmm. Is it unfair that you have to do this? Yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No one
6: likes to go to small claims. Yeah.
1: No, I was talking to someone earlier in the week, and I mentioned that you were going to be on my show, and he has a radio show as well, and he mentioned that he had a fairly expensive car, and it was totaled, and he wasn't happy with his insurance claim and and the value that they assigned, so he actually hired a public adjuster to come out and put a value on the vehicle to go back to his insurance company and say, no, this is what it should be worth. Now, like you said, most people are not going to do that for a couple thousand dollars.
6: That is correct. And, and unfortunately, the poorer and less educated the person is, the less likely they're going to fight that battle. Mm. Um, yeah. And that's that's the worst situation. Um, on a daily basis, I see consumers being cheated out of between you know, two and four thousand dollars on their car. I'm getting paid in full on their loan, mm-hmm. but they—they're losing their down payment for a car they bought a year ago. Yeah, my my company will fight for our consumers. Um, what I find most disturbing is the division of insurance being well aware of this um, and having stated that there's an investigation ongoing. Is doing nothing about it. Hmm. That that investigation has been ongoing for more than a year.
1: Wow. Well, as we know, the wheels the wheels of government turn pretty slowly. Um, but it is but it is something. I guess if if you know if I leave our parking lot here today and head out and get hit by a garbage truck uh, and the car gets totaled and I get the estimate back from the insurance company, the adjuster comes out, looks at it. Um, and I see that it's this CCC company. I guess the first thing I would do is start to question the values that are assigned, and then I'd want to do my own homework.
6: Um, yes, but your own homework is really very easy. In Massachusetts, there's there's a law of regulations by the Division of Insurance called 211 CMR 133, which actually informs everyone exactly how to calculate the uh, the actual cash value of a car. And the way you do it is simple. There's three issues. Number one, go look at the native retail value. Mm-hmm. Number two, take a look at what you paid for your car less applicable depreciation.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: and applicable depreciation is basically 1% per month. Okay. Number three, draw a circle around your house with five miles and go see if there are any cars almost exactly like it that are available for sale.
1: Yeah and that's we, and that's actually pretty easy today with websites like car gurus and IC cars you can do a ge- geographical search you can put in pretty much your exact make model mileage, probably color if you even wanted to. And do a geographical search right near your house, and you come up with you come up with a value. You come up with at least what is for sale on the internet, and it would give you an idea what the car is worth.
6: And, and if you if you did those three things, you'd come up almost always to what native retail is. Mm-hmm. As strange as that sounds, the system is fairly solid. The problem is, is that's where you going. You, as the consumer, are going to start to negotiate you're going to start negotiating a fair right number.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: The insurance company is going to start negotiating 15 to 20% lower.
1: So as, uh, as the person on the other side of that, should I start negotiating above what the right number is?
6: No, I don't think no. you should do that. Okay. I think what you should do, you should simply tell the insurance company, I'll, cl- I'll gladly take your settlement, I'm reserving my rights, I think you lied to me, and I'm going to sue you. That should You'd be you amazed?
1: Think that would get their attention?
6: That does get their attention.
4: Hmm.
1: Yeah, and at what point? Even before you say before you even get to that point, um, I know years back I had a, not an expensive car at all that was that uh, was totaled and the insurance company gave me a gave me an offer on the vehicle and i said i said to him i'm i'm not happy with this the vehicle is worth more than that um i need to talk to someone else and next day or so somebody's supervisor called me up and magically the price went up a couple thousand dollars
6: oh you, you if you simply and i know it's not easy for most people if you simply refuse the offer, or you demand to speak to someone, or you turn yourself into the squeaky wheel, yep. squeaky wheels get grease. It's just the way that the world works. Mm. Most people aren't willing to, um, to fight the, their battle for themselves. Um, they just think of it as a simple loss. Mm. But last year in Massachusetts, there were 35,000 totaled vehicles, give or take.
1: 35000 35000
6: uh, that's a lot. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of total vehicles. There are a lot of total vehicles. And at $2,000 a piece that the insurance company is winning, that turns into tens of millions of dollars annually. It is very much so worth the insurance company's time to set up a system to lowball ball consumers. Hmm. Um and most consumers are you're right won't fight it because either a they're not interested in two thousand dollars or they have gap insurance
4: hmm
6: in which case they don't care
1: well that, that that's a that's a good point too, because uh gap insurance covers that you know and the, as you explain this, it almost sounds like gap insurance was and i have to be careful how i say this fabricated because of this.
6: I won't say it's fabricated because of it, but the answer is the insurance companies are certainly taking advantage of that situation. Right. Um, So if they can push people around, Mm. they will. Um, We normally, going back to, we normally hope our regulators stop things Mm. like this from happening. Um, I'm not a big company, but my company is not large, but we're big enough. I have, Hundreds of files in my conference room, as I talked to you this morning, where I could walk a Massachusetts Division of Insurance regulator through hundreds of examples of outright lies in these reports. Mm. Well, and I can't. As, I can't get them to stop.
1: As your company and as consumers, what can we do about it?
6: Um, certainly, we can call the Division of Insurance um, and their complaints division. We can make them aware.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: More importantly, we can speak to our local legislators um, and point people, point, point them in the direction of, "Hey, I've been cheated on this." Um, your local legislature will want to hear from consumers or people who've just lost two or three thousand dollars because they were cheated by their insurance company.
4: Mm.
6: Last yeah. but not least, we can litigate. Um, small claims is a nice place. It's not a bad place to be, especially if you're a plaintiff. Mm. And you go in and you tell a judge, eventually the judge will get um, angry with the insurance companies and stop this bad habit.
1: Yeah. No, and you're absolutely right. You know, my experiences in small claims is um, the judge or clerk magistrate likes people and doesn't always like big corporations.
6: Especially when When they're doing wrong. Yeah. When they're doing wrong.
4: Yep. No.
6: You, and, you know, the, you, you had a contract. All that you were supposed to do was agree to it. You paid your insurance premiums. And if you didn't pay your insurance premiums, the insurance company is actually able to take away your ability to drive. Right. right. Now when it comes to their side of the equation, and they're simply supposed to follow the rules and be fair, um, it's pretty sad when they're not.
1: Yeah. And and you're, you're absolutely, you know, when you get down to the very simple part of what insurance is, I gave money to my insurance company to insure my car for its value, and that value should be based on what I paid for. It. Um, and even though, even though maybe I even overpaid for it when I purchased it, it's not like I went to my insurance company and said to them, well, this $10,000 car that I bought is really only worth eight thousand dollars um so you're really only gonna so am i really paying insurance for an eight thousand dollar car or a ten thousand dollar car i mean when it first starts off you're paying for you're paying for a value of a car um you know there 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 is some thoughts about what the car's worth when you when you share it There,
6: there there is there's no doubt to that um that the insurance company is attempting to create a fake book. Mm-hmm. This is really what CCC one is. They claim to go out and, um, with dealerships and for the dealership to give them the best te- take price that they will get on a particular car. Well, as you might imagine, no car dealership is going to put up with someone showing up week after week after week, not looking to buy a car but being asked to give the very best take price on every car on the lot. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I mean
6: you
1: you mentioned you, yeah, I mean you mentioned Herb Chambers and uh and and I was talking to him one day about how he establishes prices on his used cars. And basically he 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 almost has something like that. He has a software program that goes out and pings dealerships within a 20-mile radius of one of his stores and looks to see what that same car is selling for in other dealerships and that's kind of how they establish the price of the vehicle so if that's the case well that's what the vehicle's worth and that's you know it's you know people sometimes consumers sometimes will have an artificial uh kind of feeling about what their car's worth no my my car's perfect it's worth twice what the You know book value is well we have to be realistic too but on the other hand for consumers who are all of a sudden it's a bad situation You got in a car crash maybe you got hurt maybe hopefully you didn't and all of a sudden now you're walking and you're you're at that point a little bit desperate you're waiting for the insurance company to pay off the claim and if the claim is a couple thousand dollars less than what it should be you're just happy to get the money so you can go out and buy another car
6: Well, that's correct, and that's why when I say to reserve your rights, um, that's why that is so important. Mm. The consumer needs to endorse the back of the check, but also send an email to the insurance company. I'm accepting your offer, but I'm reserving my rights because I think you lied to me.
4: Mm.
6: Um, That way, the insurance company can't go into court and say, hey, we paid him his $10,000. This is a done deal. Yep. The, the judge will look at them and say, no, he reserved his rights.
4: Hmm. Yeah, and, um, and,
1: and do some insurance companies send out a letter that says, uh, upon acceptance of this check, you will be unable to put any in any other future claims?
6: No, the answer is, is that they, they can't. Okay. Um, if, your, if your claim is that they're not following the law, and um, I have a letter that I could, or, or, a, a format for back, lack of a better yep. term, that I could share with you um, so that people would be able to take it and just simply produce this reservation of rights. An insurance company has to pay you what they feel they owe you in a reasonable period of time. Mm-hmm. If you disagree with that, they still have to pay what they were supposed to pay, and then you can have a further negotiation yeah. or litigation over the balance.
1: Mm. No, it, all sound, it, it this, this all sounds like something that... You know, consumers should be made aware of uh, the Attorney General's office. Like you said, they're aware of it. They they've been aware of it for about a year or so now. But um, it seems it seems like there's there's something here that needs to be fixed. And I appreciate you coming on the program this morning and making us aware of it. And uh, you know, m- maybe we can maybe we can get this fixed.
6: That, it, anything that I can do to fix this problem would be great. I see too many people injured every single week of my life um, on this issue. Mm. It, it's not fair, and it's not right.
1: Yep. No, absolutely. Hey, um, Michael, thanks for taking some time out of your Saturday and uh, joining us on the Car Doctor program.
6: Thank you so much. I hope you have a great day.
1: You as well. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Hmm. I guess I always thought... You know insurance companies' jobs are to usually put the blame on somebody else you know make money for their investors. yeah um yeah, they try that microphone yeah and make money for their yeah, investors and make money for their <laughs> investors and I you know I and, I and I'm fortunately have only been having to negotiate that type of thing really once. Um, and, and again, it was years back where I got, well, your car is only worth this. And I'm like, eh, you say it's only worth this, but I say it's worth this. And I didn't accept the check. Um, I think it was, I got to say, it was probably almost 30 some odd years ago. And I said, I need to talk to a manager. I said, I'm not happy with the settlement. The settlement's way off what the car should be worth. And. They came back, and I, st- I don't know that I was, it went up that much, but it went up enough where I felt okay. Now, when my wife's car got totaled five years ago, the estimate was solid. I was, I was fine with it. Um, and her car had relatively low mileage on it. And even the adjuster who came out and looked at it said, this was a pretty nice car. This car was in really good condition. And when we got the estimate, I was like, yeah, you know, I did a quick NADA check. Um, um, Like Michael said, you know, I went to NADA guides, uh, online book value, and said, yeah, that's about what it's worth. And interestingly, we were considering trading the car a while before that. And we went to a couple, we went to CarMax and a couple other places, and they they appraised the car as a trade-in and the price was the price was okay um you know i always kind of look at used car dealers and you know they have to pay something and be able to sell it at retail and make make a little bit of money at the same time and you know if they make a thousand dollars on a used car or fifteen hundred dollars on a used car you can't you know to, to put it on the lot and recondition it and keep it you know have a warranty with it you expect them to make that kind of money so uh, not 5000 but on a, on a normal price car, I guess. So um, the idea that the insurance company is automatically going to depreciate a car based on false information is just wrong. And I guess it's really up to the consumer to be aware that if this does happen... Um, And whether it's this CCC group or any estimating guide, uh, like Michael said, it's not that hard to do your own homework and figure out the depreciation. His uh, 1% per month. month? Um, After the car's a few years old, that's probably pretty reasonable. The first year or so, it's going to depreciate a lot on a new car. but as far as coming out with yeah, do do a little bit of do a little bit of basic work. Look at the NADA guides. Go to the if you don't have a computer, go to the library. They either look at it online or go to the reference section and pick up the little goldish color book that has the book values in it. Look it up. Take take a picture of it. Uh, make a photocopy of it. Uh, so you know what so you know what the car is actually worth. And once you know the value, say hey, look. Well, the retail value what this car would sell for at a car lot is this. The rough condition is this. My car was not in rough condition. My car was in this condition. Um, And then, even to the point where the insurance company, say you put new brakes and new tires on it, do they really care? Not initially, but if you say to them, you know, this car, I've been maintaining this car. I think it's in this condition. I, I always think there's room for negotiation. If you don't like the number, see what you can do about it. And then, like Michael said, you can, you can endorse the check and say, I am not accepting your offer, but we need to work on this a little bit more. And the threat of, for a couple thousand dollars, the threat of small claims court, uh, small claims court kind of, uh, automotive issues can go up a little bit higher, but I think small claims court limit is... Couple thousand dollars, five five thousand. Is it five thousand now? And unless they don't respond within the next amount of time, and then they can be sued for triple damages. Correct. Uh, there's a certain part of the law they have to respond back to the small claims court thing. And I've only taken one person to small claims court. I've never done it. Uh, I've been to small claims court for I've AAA. Watched it. I've been to small <laughs> claims court a couple times for AAA uh, when people have asked for things that. Seemed unreasonable to me, and they asked me to go to small claims court, and um, I guess I won mostly. Um, one time they were looking for something, and um, they delayed the, the they delayed our case till the afternoon. It was supposed to be in the morning, and I said to the woman, "I don't think we were wrong. You know, you think we were. Um, can we come to a reasonable conclusion?" So. You don't have to stay here all day and I don't have to stay here all day. And we came to a conclusion, went back to somebody and said, you know, instead of whatever, the $1,000 they were looking for, we settled for 400 and everybody was reasonably happy and so forth. But, yeah, I took a, I took a home inspector to a small claims court because they missed a bunch of stuff in a home inspection. And um, I had to hire a constable to deliver the summons because they didn't show up. The first time, and finally the um, the home inspector, the company, I, and I listed everybody: the home inspector, the owner of the company, the bookkeeper, the everybody I could find. I listed on the small claims court thing, and I had a choice of doing small claims in Wilmington, I think, or somewhere up that way, where they were, where they were, or Brockton, closer to where I was. I did in Brockton, in the same small claims court that does evictions and utility shutoffs. It was a miserable place, and it was, I think it was in, they were were renovating the courthouse, so it might have even been in a trailer. (laughs) So (laughs) it was uncomfortable, it was crowded, it was noisy, and I looked over at the owner of the company, who at one point said to me this guy you're having served warrants to my business could you call him off please i said well show up in court that's his job is to do this uh and he was this retired boston policeman and he was like five feet two and like four feet wide and he he was just a funny character and he would just he'd go sit on their doorstep until they showed up and um I looked over at the guy, and he had his head in his hands because it was hot and uncomfortable and there was screaming kids and all kinds of stuff going on. And I said, I don't care if I win or I lose now. I'm happy. (laughs) I've made this guy's life as miserable as he's made mine. So, but anyway, that's that was my, my one experience. So Small Claims Court, again, Small Claims Court sort of designed for just this type of thing. And you can go to People's Court. And you can go to People's Court. Judge Judy. Yeah, Judge Judy, who who is like a billionaire from oh, that TV she's show. she's absolutely, she's yeah. the
2: longest tenured TV judge. Yeah, I know.
1: She's, she's doing really well. Why don't we take another break? Phone lines are open if you would like to join us. Ask us some questions about something or other. And we, when we come back, we're doing trivia, by the way. I've been kind of putting that off for a couple weeks. I think for trivia, we're going to give away a AAA membership. How's that? So AAA membership, trivia, and other stuff. 617-770-3030. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Cardoc Program on AM 950, WROL, The Spirit of Boston, 100.3 FM, WROLradio.com, the app, anywhere you happen to be listening to us. We ought to try Facebook Live again somehow. I wonder what happened to the Facebook Live camera. The camera's gone. Yeah. But that was wired in so you could hear everything. So, but, I don't know. We ought to try something like that. The only thing, if I do Facebook Live myself, people won't be able to hear... They'll hear us, but they won't hear the callers. callers. Yeah,
2: maybe. No, but, they would not. Yeah, unless you put it up to your headphone. Unless you put it up to your,
1: um, or plugged into the headphone jack. Yeah, yeah, something. But anyway, so someday, someday we'll figure it out. Uh, but I, but uh, so, it's been a weird program today. You know, we had our little stumble with our guest, then we had a little stumble with the phone. Then we had the headphones didn't work.
2: And the levels are off on this board again. Are they? Yeah.
1: Yeah? Huh. Well, I don't know about that. So, uh, Volkswagen is adjusting their warranty. It's going down, not up. Um, Volkswagen will scale back its industry best six years, 72,000 bumper-to-bumper warranty program for to four years, 50,000. Still not bad. Uh, but uh, they will throw in two years of factory maintenance beginning in the 2020 model year, and to help its uh, profit-struggling dealers, the German automaker is starting a new Tier 3 advertising program, so uh, the program will pay dealers up to $200 per vehicle to better develop their local markets. This is the hidden money you don't know about with car dealerships. So they're giving them money to promote local advertising. So if... A local Volkswagen dealer wanted to advertise here. He could take some of that $200 per car money and advertise on this program, for instance. Um, Both the direct efforts by the German brand's uh, North American leadership team to address lingering issues with uh, two different but equally important constituents. Consumers and its long-suffering dealer network. For consumers, the amended warranty and maintenance program is a way to take on lingering doubts about Volkswagen's cost of ownership. I don't know. Taking warranty away does that, but giving free maintenance does, I guess. So, but two years free maintenance on a Volkswagen is two oil changes.
2: Does it include brake work?
1: Probably not. Probably not wear and tear items, but probably mm-hmm. just normal maintenance. I mean, if it does, because yeah. I
2: know some of those maintenance yeah. programs do yeah. offer yeah. brakes. Yeah,
1: but but still, in two years. Well, it depends on how Chances, old the car is. Chance. Well, this is new cars. Oh, new cars. New cars. No, yeah. Never mind. So, <laughs> two years. To, so, a two-year-old car, and Volkswagen oil changes. If you go by the maintenance schedule, once a year or every ten thousand miles, whichever comes first. So, for the average driver, the two-year maintenance might be a set of windshield wiper blades, maybe a, even the cabin and engine air filters. I think are on a three-year schedule. So. Two years maintenance might be a tire rotation, not a whole lot, not a whole lot. So, um, but uh, they did a bunch of investigations, came up with that, and that's what they decided to do. And but if it helps, if it helps the dealer with advertising money, um, Volkswagen still makes some incredibly good products, even though they lied about their diesels. And I saw an article the other day that said how the Volkswagen diesel is now one of the Best used car values. And I'm not 100% sure about that. The prices I looked at didn't make me scream out, go, I want to buy one of those. Even though I would like to buy a Jetta Sportwagon, a Golf Sportwagon, diesel, with the manual transmission, they're just a lot of fun to drive. But anyway. Well, a couple weeks ago, Lee Iacocca died. Yes. Um, And... By the m- mid 1980s, uh, he was kind of a household name. He appeared in almost all of their TV ads for Chrysler. For Chrysler, yeah. Um, often taking shots at the Japanese. Correct. Yeah. And he had a tagline at the end of his commercial. What did he What did he say? Um, in 1982, when the Chrysler Baron um, was hatched. Um, Lee Iacocca said in his signature pitch, "What was what would he what did he say in nineteen eighty two at the end of his at the he talked about the convertible and talked about the LeBaron and talked about the LeBaron convertible and but at the very end he said something uh, pretty staggering for somebody who sells cars. What did he say? If you know the answer, give us a call at 617-770-3030. Um, what? What do you want? Piece of paper, pen, charades. But uh, the 30-second spots reached over 97 percent of America households, an average of 63 times a piece. Time magazine reported in 1985. He was lampooned by uh, comedian Phil Hartman on the Saturday Night Live and became a frequent cartoon subject in comic strips and editorial pages of the nation's newspapers. His name was tossed around as a possible presidential candidate, turned down an appointment to the U.S. Senate seat for Pennsylvania, and was uh, courted to become a Major League Baseball commissioner by George Steinbrenner, uh, the late owner of the New York Yankees. So let's see if you know what his tagline was. While Dennis is doing that, I want to talk about A car that got me around the last couple weeks or so, I haven't done a car review in a while. Well, because, uh, well, I've been driving my own car. Uh, The midsize sedan was once one of the most popular vehicles on the road. Now these popular sedans have been replaced by compact and midsize SUVs. For those buyers still looking for a midsize sedan, uh, there are some good choices. In my opinion, one of the best kept secrets is the Mazda 6. The front-wheel drive Mazda 6 comes in five trim levels, and depending on uh, which one you get, it could be a 2.5-liter four-cylinder engine that develops 187 horsepower, or in higher trim, a 2.3-liter engine, a 2.5-liter engine that adds a turbocharger, and that boosts up the horsepower about 40 to 227. There's one transmission, a six-speed automatic. Uh, Mazda had a manual transmission for years in the 6 that was dropped from the lineup Our road test was in the signature version, which is kind of the the top-of-the-line version. There's little to fault with the sedan. The seats are comfortable and supportive. Uh, The seats offer a nice balance of comfort and support. Um, They seem ideal for long-distance cruising, unlike some other vehicles that have plenty of under-thigh support, which I find, I don't know, it's just me, but sometimes I get in a car and the seat cushions seem very short, and they come in sort of like right in the middle of my thigh, and after a while, it's uncomfortable. Preaching to the choir. All right. Well, you're tall. Uh, The controls, for the most part, are simple and easy to use, although I found the infotainment interface a little bit slow. It just didn't seem to react as quick as I wanted. There's a center-mounted rotary control to operate many of the uh, functions, as well as as some other controls on the steering wheel. This helps minimize distraction, but it does take a little bit of patience and practice to get it to work right. The head-up display helps keep the driver's eyes on the road. The interior design has a very sophisticated look and feel of a, a more expensive car. The latest uh, Mazda 6, it's just a delight to drive. The engine provides strong linear power. Transmission shifts smooth and crisp. Um, for those drivers looking for more control, there is a manual shift mode. I am not a wild manual shift mode. Not that crazy about them. Let the transmission do what it's designed to do. I, don't, I guess I don't do enough hot rod canyon driving fast and furious to use a manual shift mode. Um, the steering has a bit of a heavy feel. It gives kind of solid feedback to the driver. And that little bit of heaviness, I think, just adds to the enjoyment of driving. Mazda put their, their Active Sense safety system uh, that was once an option across all trim levels. helps The system helps recognize driver hazards, avoid collisions with low-speed emergency braking. Fuel economy during my road test averaged uh, just about 29 miles per gallon in mixes city and highway driving. The Mazda 6 now with the more powerful engine, improved handling, great fit and finish is hard to find fault with. Not the most popular sedan in, in the category, but in my opinion, one of the best. Uh, the one we drove, uh, again, fully loaded, everything in it, about 35000 Even the base engine, I think, is pretty good. So fuel economy, 23 city, 31 highway. Like I said, I average about 29. Crash test scores, five stars. So where are we going here? Start in order. Well, let's talk to Bill in Medford.
3: Bill, good morning. Good morning, John.
1: So what do you think? What did Lee Iacocca say?
6: I, I think words to the effect that if you could find that foreign car that was built with the same quality and care as a Chrysler product was, he told you to buy that car.
1: Well, you, add, you added a bunch of words, but I think what he really said was, if you can find a better car, buy it.
6: Buy
1: it. <laughs> That's right. So you are correct. So uh, and he was and he was pointing to, uh, and I think he actually called out Honda and Toyota at the time, wow. and, and said, uh, and uh, you know what was kind of what was kind of funny was uh, a fair amount of the Chrysler K cars of the time had actually Mitsubishi engines in them,
6: mm. so <laughs> which I. Yeah, I I, excuse me, John. I did, in fact, own one of his K cars, and I
5: literally drove that thing to the ground. It was unbelievable the mileage I put on that little car and the, the years I got from it.
1: Well, it, it's kind of funny when pe- when when people started to look at the original K cars, and some of them had, I think, there were I don't know, two point two or two point four liter engine in them, and it was the Chrysler design engine, and people said, "Yeah, it's it's." yeah get the one with the Japanese engine And and the funny part is the Mitsubishi engine fell apart after about 70 or 80 thousand miles and the Chrysler engine everybody thought would fall apart never did so when everybody was all ready to say that wasn't a good engine the Chrysler one actually held together pretty well and, and I mean they had a rubber timing belt and people were a little bit afraid of that And uh, but you know looking, looking back I don't think anyone could look back at a uh, at a uh, 1984 Chrysler or Baron convertible go, What a stunning-looking car, especially when it had the fake wood wood grain on it. Um, so, uh, but on the other hand, you know, every every once in a while you see one, and, and when I see one once in a while, it does kind of make me smile. So, you know, so it's yeah. okay. So, anyway, uh, we'll put you back on hold, and Dennis will get your address down, and we'll send you out a AAA membership.
5: Oh, thank you very much. All I We right. appreciate that. Sure thing. Thank you.
1: All right. Dennis can do that, and I'll talk to Tom in Weymouth while Dennis is busy doing what he does.
7: Tom, good morning. Hey, good morning, John. It's amazing how powerful huh, commercials are that we can remember these things. It's well, just, well, <laughs> you know, and I think,
1: what, I think what the most interesting part about the commercial is that it reached 97% of American households an average of 63 times because... How many right. you know how many TV stations were there? Yeah. In
7: the, in the 80s, you know. <laughs> Two UHS,
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah, you had you know you had 457 38 56 right. and you know yeah. if you lived if you lived on the south shore you had a or an antenna that rotated you got the Rhode Island stations or if you lived up on the north shore you get you get the you get WMUR in Manchester. So you right. weren't getting a, you so. didn't did get you didn't get a lot of choices where today there's you know 10,000 oh, God, stations yeah. and there's
7: nothing on. Right. I think the power of it, too, was that he did it. Right. You know, it made you kind of focus more than sometimes you watch a commercial, you kind of don't know what they're saying, but because he's so darn say, if you can find a better build-up car, buy it. It, it. it really stuck with you, but it's amazing. But, you know, um, the other thing I, I, I wanted to talk to you, that show you had the uh, person you just had on with the insurance, that was really an interesting show, and thank you for that, oh. because that's you know, I, well, I, I wasn't again, aware of it until <laughs> he
1: sent me an email and said, hey, you know, and I forget even what prompt. It was one of the columns that I wrote, in it, it uh, mm. yeah, and, and uh, interesting that people actually read the junk that I write. Yeah,
7: no, no, <laughs> it's not junk It's very good. <laughs> now, now, okay, so what, that, that made me think of another kind of a scam, and I'm not sure if, now, when you go to the registry, you purchase a car mm-hmm. from a person, and you go to the registry, they don't seem to, and this has happened to me, they don't take the bill of sale. They go in their books and charge you what they come up with. Yeah, and... Noticed? I mean, how is that right? It's a bill, you're charged the sales tax on what you pay for the vehicle. I had it happen to me, I bought a Jeep... An old jeep, I paid two thousand dollars, they made me pay it on four thousand, five. dollars.
4: Yeah, yeah, you
1: can you can actually you can actually file a sales tax something something. You know, mm. so for instance if you if you said, Well I only paid two thousand dollars for it because it needs an engine mm-hmm. um and you can actually get Kind of a negotiated price. What they what they're actually charging you on is kind of the wholesale value, though, not the retail value. So it's actually it's not a, it's not a terrible price unless what you bought needed some work. And then they, right. there is there is that. Ability and Dennis looks like he's got something on his mind.
2: Wasn't this wasn't this law like there was a law or something that was passed in I want to say the late eighties and sometime by the mid nineties that made this change happen because people were coming mm-hmm. into the registry with a bill of sale of like a dollar. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There, and Dennis was right. There. There was. Right. You know, they would take for a private party sale, they would take whatever anybody wrote down. So if I was selling my car to Dennis, Dennis would go to me, hey, just put five hundred dollars down. I'm like, well, it's five thousand, though. Yeah, yeah, but just put five five hundred down. Right. Yeah, so that's what, one of the one of the reasons right. why people wanted to do that was to for just that particular right. yeah yeah. Right. So, but, right but, time, but you, know, you can but you again. can yeah you can actually. And I don't remember how you do it, but I know some there somehow somehow there is a way to be able to kind of adjust that price.
7: Well, I mean, you you take, you know, a lot of people buy older vehicles. Like, that's what I bought. I bought a 45-year-old Jeep. It needed a lot of work. So it wasn't, you know, what they charged me on. But, you know, even just to try to deal with the guy behind the booth, he was so miserable. I just Mm. said, you know what? I just want out of here. You Mm. know? I mean, to be honest with you. Yeah. you Yeah. But, I mean, there has to be a way because it says it's a sales tax. Right. It's a tax on a sale, yeah. Not a tax. I, I mean, I understand. You, so you're not sure how that
5: works. At all. Yeah, I
1: know. I know that there is a method to do it because, because I know that, for instance, if you're going to buy a car that, um, you know, like your Jeep, or you're going to buy a car that you're going to, your plan is that you, mm. you know, you didn't care if the engine ran or not because you were putting a, you plan on putting a new engine in it, or you, you were going to. You know, you didn't care that it was all rotted out because you planned exactly. on doing body work to it or something. Yeah, those yeah. those are all, th- there is there is a way to negotiate after the fact.
7: After the fact, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, wow, that, you know, that yeah. ought to be fun. <laughs> I was going say it was going to be easy, you know. Yeah. But
1: you are dealing with the, you know, whatever it is, the mass sales tax income tax, sales tax, whatever they are. Right.
7: Yeah. Yeah. And when you earlier called, you were talking about the disc brakes, you know, and you were saying the slides, yeah. You know, all he is in my 60s, I've worked on, I've never had a bad caliper. It's amazing. Like you say, sometimes you make it a little Mm rusting kind of, Emery cloth, but I've never had had to replace the calipers. Always something else. They are an amazing, yeah, for little, something that is thing, such a yeah.
1: simple thing. It's like, how yeah. does that little rubber square cut seal keep the fluid yeah. from squishing out?
7: Right. Yeah. And you think of all the times in the old cars wheel cylinders, always leaked.
1: Always leaked. <laughs> yeah. No, you're you're abs- you're absolutely right. And uh, you know, it, with the exception of you know, kind of you know, almost Lee Iacocca's cars, there they started yeah. to go to these. Plastic. I'll call them plastic. They were phenolic or something. Plastic piston yeah. inside the caliper, and that was like, oh, these won't rust. And all they did was rust. It's like I <laughs> don't know how plastic rust, but it would build up rust inside the brake system, and right. they would, they would, and but you're right. Could you, could you fix them? Yeah, you just took them apart, cleaned them, and put them back together again.
7: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's one something yep. really amazing what they did there. But I'll yeah. let you go, John. All right, Thank all you, right. Man. Take care. care. Bye bye. Yeah, all right. Bye bye.
1: We need to take another quick break. My name's John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. If you're on hold, stay right there. If you would like to join us, 617-770-3030. And also when we come back, I want to talk about our buddy Paul from uh, Braintree that let me know about what might be another scam of sorts. We'll be right back.
4: Wheels old
1: in between the commercial we were were talking we weren't talking about old cars we were talking about old people us not dennis but me and sully we're not as young as we used to be but then again no one is so uh but uh dennis has his view on what's old
2: i said you've lived a life if you hit a certain age, like a yeah. nice long life if you hit a certain age. Uh, that's true. And I'm not that much younger than you guys.
1: I know, I know.
8: We're not going to go geezer radio
1: yeah, I know. Yeah, none of that. Because no we'll,
0: uh, I could do that for now.
1: Could you? Yeah. All right, let's talk to Mike. Michael, good morning. I need
0: a mic. Good morning, John. Um I wanted you to, I wanted, excuse me, let me shut this off. Thank you. I wanted to um thank you for... I took your advice. I had emailed you about a thirty thousand mile uh, checkup. Oh yeah, and yeah. I brought the yeah. So anyway, um, I bring the car in, and uh, when I was talking with the service advisor, I made it a point: um, please make sure that they top off the fluids. They didn't do it the last time that mm-hmm. I had it in for service, and I was concerned about the brake fluid. Mm-hmm. So you know where this is going. Yeah. So I picked the car up, and of course. Before I drive out of the parking lot, I open it up, and it was, again, the brake fluid was down a little bit, not a lot, maybe, you know, a quarter of an inch or so, no big deal, it was still in between the lines, okay. So I drive it back in there, and, and one of the, you know, the, yep. the people that greet you, meet and greet people, I, I kind of call them, mm-hmm. I said, you know, could I, have, could I have someone, you know, just come and top off the fluids, and if I hadn't made it a deal at the service rep, you know, and yep. I hadn't done the last time, so the guy, of course, Lifts up the hood and says, "Oh yeah, <laughs> they didn't drop off the fluid." So I'm sitting there, especially when you're standing there, and he's gone for about 15 minutes, and he comes back with brake fluid in his hand.
4: Now, mm-hmm.
0: you know, look, we're just talking about older age, so let's, let's suffice it to say it was a younger person. He opens up the hood and then proceeds to try to screw off the top on the brake fluid reservoir. Uh, it's a pull off, ah. so he finally figures off. It's just a pull off he then proceeds to put the fluid in here's my question he went about a quarter of, of an inch above the full line now i know you don't want to contaminate you don't want to contaminate brake fluid so you know you don't want to get the turkey baster from last thanksgiving out and suck it out of there how much should i be concerned if any at all obviously he didn't know what he was doing and i had to stop him before he filled it all the way to the top so can you just give me yeah, a little anywhere? a little
1: bit above the full line is not going to make a huge difference because you know one of the reasons the brake fluid goes down is brake fluid doesn't evaporate what happens is as the brake pads wear um, yeah. they the pistons push out of the calipers a little bit more and that space is filled with brake fluid so there are some people that will say well you should never add brake fluid because when the brake fluid low brake fluid light comes on chances are the brake pads are all worn out because they've worn so far that it's used up that extra amount of brake fluid. The chances are, if you overfilled it to the top um, yeah. and, and got the cap back on there and squished it on there, um, one of the things you have to worry about is every time you step on the brakes, there's a little squirt of fluid that comes up and down inside the master cylinder reservoir. If you took the cap off of there and stepped on the brake pedal a bunch of times, you'd see a little gush of, fluid come out because it needs to bleed back into the master cylinder. So that's what the space is for. A little bit above okay. isn't going to really hurt anything. Again, if it was okay. all the way to the top I'd be more concerned, but you know, if if they didn't care, they wouldn't put a min and a max line in. So um yeah. uh you know, like I said, is it going to I I wouldn't go get the turkey baster and then reuse okay. it for the turkey afterwards.
0: Yeah, okay. Sure. Now, now, if I, is, now if you went sure, to the sorry, dollar sorry. store
1: and got a dollar yeah. turkey baster and sucked a yeah. little bit of brake fluid out with it to get it right to the yeah. full line, I'd be okay with doing that. But and then save save that for something else afterwards.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, John. I right. appreciate it. All right. Take care. I enjoyed I enjoyed your, your caller in this morning. He was very informative, so thank you for doing All it right. again. Thank appreciate you. it. Yeah. Bye bye. Stay cool. Bye bye.
1: Well, our buddy Paul in Braintree sent me an email about. Um, he got something from his dealership, and it says, uh, "Does your car have a? Does your vehicle have an airbag?" Well, yes. And the the ad the ad says. Somehow we just deleted it, but the. Uh, oops. Oops. But it's back. <laughs> it's back. Does your car have an airbag? And so, if sure. Make sure Clarence has your VIN number so he can file a claim for you. And Clarence is an automated system put out by a legal firm that, I guess, Takata, the airbag company, they're up for a class action suit where people with Takata airbags could get $500. And Clarence, which looks like a, what is that?
2: looks like a... There with with glasses, glasses and a, and a bow, tie. bow tie.
1: Yeah, Clarence is going to take ten percent. So you register with this website. Now the class action suit has just been filed. There's no, there's nothing that says that if you have a Takata airbag, you're going to get anything. But there's been a class action suit filed, and it basically says if you have an airbag and you get a and you're part of the class action suit, you're entitled to five hundred bucks. And Clarence is going to get. Ten percent, fifty bucks. Well, it's not to see if your airbag's been recalled because you can go on National Highway Traffic Safety Administration website and put your vehicle identification number in; it'll tell you all the recalls on your car and whether they've been done or not. So, um, so to me, it seems like if you had the government owed you money, the state of Commonwealth of Massachusetts, you know, findmassmoney.com kind of thing. And a service said, um, "You know, we'll do. We'll we'll see if the Commonwealth owes you money, and we'll do all the paperwork for you, and we'll take 10 percent as a finder's fee." It's kind of what this is doing with the class action suit. Um, I. This is just me personally. I'm not a huge class action suit person. I always think it's. I, I, you know, I, I have used Sylvania Silver Star headlights, and I got a thing in the mail that said, have you ever used their headlight bulbs and you're eligible for $2.50? And, you know, some, some attorney law companies make money at that. My favorite class action suit was filed against uh, Red Bull. Did you know Red Bull doesn't really give you wings? But someone filed a, somebody filed a lawsuit against Red Bull because apparently it really doesn't give you wings. Just seems crazy, but somebody, some some lawyer made money. And there's a whole bunch of class action lawsuits pending on the whole Volkswagen scandals. Uh, there's class action lawsuits against the GM uh, ignition keys.
2: I have taken part in class action suits
1: for a couple different things. I get a...
2: A check of 50 a $100, yeah. you know. Yeah. I figure it's, if I don't.
1: If you don't, someone else is going to get, get it. it. Yeah. And, and I, can, I, I, I will say my wife's 1999 Volkswagen, the convertible top had some kind of problem. I don't remember what it was. And there was a class action lawsuit. It got approved. And what it did is it extended the warranty of the top. So we ended up getting a new top. We had to pay for some cables and some other stuff. But it was a class action lawsuit that actually allowed us to do that. That's a lot of money. That I prefer over what I think is sometimes crazy lawsuits against something. You know, and I don't I just, to me, I'm not saying, you know, there are great lawyers. And then there are some that just. Anyways. Anyway. But everybody, any lawyer will tell you, everybody hates lawyers until you need one. That's right. And then when you need one. They're your best friend. They're your best friend. And I have used a lawyer or two over the years. I never That was one of the words I never wanted to say. I'll, I have a lawyer. I never wanted to say that. Never, ever wanted to say that. But I had to a couple times. Hey, Sully's in the studio, sitting in my chair. Who is not a lawyer? Who's that sitting
8: in my chair? You're not a lawyer, right? And you know, it's tormenting with the idea of going to law school after after I got the doctorate. Yeah. So that my dad, who thought I'd be a near do well, I could always go back and say, "No, I'm a doctor and a lawyer." Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I no, I don't.
1: Jurisprudence. Or jurisprudence. Or yeah. Yeah.
8: Yeah. 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 However
1: here wow. in here in Massachusetts.
8: Yeah. Oh, by the way, that's why they have that uh, big findmassmoney.com because they always had abandoned property yeah. and people were doing that. Yeah. They were taking yeah. finder's fees to go into yeah. public records yeah. and yeah. Okay.
1: My my mother has some money. Now, my mother passed away several years ago and she has some money in it, but I cannot figure out how to get it out.
8: Really? Yeah, because my son had some and we got it out. Yeah, well, my, it wasn't that much, but
1: Yeah, my mother had some Insurance, some life insurance. Yeah, that was through MetLife or something. Yeah, and it paid stock dividends. Yeah, and they sent it. The it's got the dividend checks got sent to the wrong address. Okay, for for about two years. Were they cashed? No. Okay, but they're like a dollar. Okay, ten dollars. So how much money? You have to say this, but is it significant? No, it's probably a thousand dollars. Okay. The problem. The problem is. The amount of paperwork yeah, you have to file, yeah. it's not like it's just finding an account. And I, I emailed all kinds of stuff to them. And I still, apparently, I never <laughs> failed. I have to go to, like, the Registry of Deeds and Clerk of Courts and yeah, something else. Yeah, passed on. Yeah, You yeah, have yeah. to prove this. Down. And it yeah. is a and uh, sent, bureaucracy. Yeah, area. and I sent yeah. a death certificate and a certificate that showed that I was the something of the estate. And apparently that still wasn't good enough. So I haven't given up. Yeah but have slowed way down.
8: But, see, and, and if you have to invest money to get legal assistance to do that, then it cuts into what, yeah. you know, yeah, is I mean, it uh, worth it? Yeah, That's the question.
1: And, and again, I don't want to have to say I have a lawyer. Anyways, so, yeah. Yeah, anyways, you know, piano, piano's <laughs> playing. <laughs> oh, so what, I can't hear so, the piano guy. I know, because... Uh, no phone. Yeah, I know. Well, no phone, they, no there, pool. They, they're nope. there, but they don't work. Uh, yeah, they're uh, right there. So, yeah. So uh, what, what's up for the Irish Parade today?
8: Um... It's, uh you know, the dog days of August are yep. rolled in. Yep. So we'll just take it easy and play songs that people want to hear. So let us hear what you'd like to hear. How's that?
1: I was trying to figure out, what, you know, where you said lettuce. I was going to say. <laughs> let us pray. Yeah, exactly. Something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Hey, until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car, talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.